the parable of the lost son. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. He began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the eldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thanks be to God.
So what do you like at uh, forgiving people? What do you like at forgiveness? You know, when, when someone wrongs you, they do something terrible against you. What do you like at just letting that go? Emotionally. Just not remembering it. Not, not holding it against them in the future. You know, after all, if, if you're a Christian here this morning, we do, we do follow the God who, who in his son, when he hung bloodied on a cross, gasping for breath because of the wounds inflicted upon him, prayed for the very people who nailed him there, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. I think my problem is I find forgiveness quite hard, don't you? I mean, in our household, whenever there's a, a discussion, I'm the first to reach for some uh, event from the past. You always do that. You never, ever put those things away. I can't believe you've done it again. You see, that, that's my problem when I, when I come to Jesus' story. You see, my problem is that um, in this parable, I find it rather easy to side with the older son. The son who's, who stayed at home and, and done his Christian duty. The son who's slaved away for years to make the farm profitable. I mean, if you're a parent here, this is the lad you want, isn't it? You don't want the other one who's taking your money and spent it on prostitutes and booze somewhere down the road in Ibiza. You want the good lad who stayed at home. Well, I find myself thinking he's got a point. Well, why should, why should this other boy be treated so well? And of course, I, I think like that because in my heart, I, I struggle to accept the outrageous grace of God to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace, that undeserved loving kindness that God has given us his son so he might treat us as sons and daughters, as children. You see, this parable, first and foremost, is, is not actually told to wayward sons. It's told to those who do the right thing. Have a look at chapter 15 and verse 1 and 2. We find who Jesus is speaking to. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. In other words, the Jewish religious leaders, the, the Bible boys of Jesus' day, they're not too happy with who Jesus is hanging out with. Uh, the local prostitutes, the, the treacherous tax collectors. Uh, Jesus offers them a, a hand of friendship, and they're thinking, what's going on here? So what Jesus does is he, he tells them three stories. Uh, the first are about lost and found. A shepherd who loses a sheep, who goes out and finds it. When he finds it, there's a huge party. He throws a massive party. A woman who loses a, a coin. It, it's worth probably something like a day's wages. So it's, it's not just your quid under the sofa. She loses this, and when she finds it, she throws a huge party. And the message of the first two parables is the same. It, it comes in verse 7, and in verse 10, Jesus says... I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Uh, verse 10, in the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Oh, you religious leaders, you might be too self-righteous. 
Too proud to, to, to rejoice in the people who are coming to me, says Jesus. But every time someone sees the depth of their rejection of God and comes back to him, I can tell you there's one almighty party in heaven. But with the third story, Jesus tells, it's a little bit more personal. See, God's represented by the Father. The, the tax collectors, the sinners, by, by this wayward younger son. But there's a new twist There's this resentful, older brother. And that's a guy who should remind the Jewish religious leaders of themselves. So so come on, let's let's have a look at the story together. Kids, on your sheet, if you've got a sheet, there's a a sheet for everyone here, sort of JF Fusion Age. If you haven't got one, Gareth's still got three at the front. Just stick your hand up. But but you'll see the headings as we go through. There's one at the back there. A sheet at the back we need. Thanks, Gareth. Because first, it's about rejection. Did you see that? And rejection's always hurtful, isn't it? Because it's personal. Look at chapter 15 and verse 12. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now this young lad, he's not just asking for a loan. His request is an insult to his dad. But because his share of his dad's money, his property would usually only be given when his father died. Effectively, this boy is saying, Dad, I don't care if you're dead or alive. I just want your money. In fact, the word estate is literally a word for life. You see, in this culture, all of this man's life would have been taken up with his land that had been handed down from generation to generation. And so to give this boy the money, he would have had to have sold a big section of the family's land. He is literally giving his son probably about a third of his life. But he loves him, so he does it. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. It doesn't, doesn't matter if dad's dead. It doesn't matter if he lives thousands of miles away. As long as he's having a good time. Oh, and boy, does he have a good time. He buys the best sporty camel. He spends time in casinos and brothels. You can ask mum and dad what that means when you get home. He stays in the best hotels. He's brash, he's bold. And soon he's broke. Did you see that in verse 14? No money left. After he'd spent everything, there was a famine in the land, in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And like most people who, who live for themselves in that moment, he's got, he's got no way of coping with disaster. So, so he gets the only job he can find. A job no nice Jewish boy would do, looking after the pigs. As he he sits there in the muck, even the food that the pigs eat in in their trough begins to look really quite tasty. He's he's utterly alone. What do you read in verse 16? No one gave him anything. Self-centered young man, surrounded by other self-centered people, suffering the, the consequences of his actions. I wonder if you've ever thought about how personal our rejection of God is. When we go our own way, when when we decide to do our own thing, it's not just that we're disobeying a set of sort of good rules God's given us, a set of laws out there, you know, the Ten Commandments, we really should keep them. No, No, in fact, we're saying to the God who's given us everything, 
who gives us life itself, who gives us all that we enjoy and rejoice in. We're saying, God, frankly, I'll have your stuff, mate, but I don't really care if you're dead. I'm not that bothered if you exist or not. I'm just going to blank you through life. As long as you just keep giving me the stuff, I'm not bothered. It's no surprise that that when in the book of Genesis that the writer wants to reflect on how God feels and the way people treat him, he says this in Genesis chapter 6 verse 6, the Lord was grieved that he had made people on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. See, rejection is very personal. And rejection has consequences. God does give us what we want. If we want a life in a world without him, we get a life in a world without him. And if you want to see what that looks like, just go on the internet news or pick up a a newspaper if you're over 50 and have a read of it. And there is the world where we say to God, I'll have all the stuff, mate, but I'm just not interested in you. Well, I get most of us don't have to click to, to see what a life is like when we treat God like that. We don't look outside, we can look within. We can see how week after week we keep fighting the battle to fill our lives with the stuff and ignoring God and just never seems quite to work. And we can see the hurt and the pain that our selfishness causes. We can see the the, the sadness and, and the anger, the hurt, the unkind word, the broken relationship. Or, or we justify them outwardly. We can always explain away our own behavior. But, but in the end, well, we live lives as though we can worship the good gifts of our God, but not worship the giver. And it's very personal. You see, the road this boy walks on out of his village is a road that, well, everyone's walked on at one time or another. Maybe you're still walking on it. And it's a road that leads to disaster. But but, but actually, the next thing we see, there's there's return. Because look what happens in verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death? So sometimes the the pleasures of the world have to be stripped away for for us to see how life really is. You know, when the money's gone and, and surprisingly the friends have gone very quickly, good friends they were, then he remembers how things are back home and he sees how he's behaved. Did you see what he says in verse 18? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Oh, this boy sees I've not just treated my father terribly, I've behaved in a way that is totally against what what God has been teaching me about how I should treat my family. And he realizes that he, he needs to make restoration, he needs to do something to make it up. Verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Oh, perhaps dad will have me back. 
not even as a, as a servant on the farm, but, but one of those guys he gets in from the village who, who he pays to do some work around the place. Maybe if I can get a job like that, I'll be able to earn back some of that money I, I've wasted, and I'll give it back to Dad, and, and he'll have me back as a result. And that's what he's saying to himself. They say, don't they, the hardest word to say is sorry? There's, there's always a reason, isn't there, why, why we don't need to say sorry. They started it. I'm tired. I'm ill. Kids have been playing up all day. I had a terrible childhood. I've had a rough week at work. Oh, I'm struggling with singleness. I'm struggling with my marriage. There's always a reason why we don't have to say sorry, why it's not our fault. And this boy, he, he seems still to be struggling because, because he seems still to be thinking largely about himself, doesn't he? Did you, did you notice that in verse 17? It's not that he thinks, oh, oh, I've behaved terribly. I must, I must do something to restore my relationship with my dad. He thinks, I'm hungry. And I remember that the, the paid servants back home, they had a decent lunch. I, I'm not even sure whether his nice speech that he makes up for his dad is, is what's really going through his heart or is it just what he thinks the old man wants to hear and this boy still lives in a world where, where you have to get what you get for yourself do you see that? he's going to work as a hired servant so his father has him back that's the sort of dad he thinks he's got if I can just earn it dad will have me back into the house so he goes, verse 20. And then the most extraordinary thing happens. And it's the thing that is at the heart of the nature of who God is, what he's really like. It's the thing I think that, that most people miss about the Christian message. I think it's the thing that most Christians fail to live by day by day. If you're a struggling Christian here today because you are struggling with the business of who you are and who you feel you should be because you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, it might be you've, you've missed what, what happens next. Because the boy's restored. You, you can imagine him sort of shambling along slowly down the road, looking down, maybe he's, he's working through that speech, trying to get the pronunciation right, you know, make it sound good. Father, I have sinned against heaven and again... No, that's not working. F Father, I have, I've sinned against heaven and again... No. no and, and what happens? Well, his father sees him and is filled with compassion for him. Do, do you see that in verse 20? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And I expect, I expect that if, if I was in this situation and I saw the lad walking down the road, maybe the first thing, I, I couldn't resist saying something like this. Well, I told you so. Or, or when he turned up on the doorstep, I'd say, well, um, you got something you want to say? But, but look what happens, verse 20 again. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. That is the most wonderful, wonderful word here. Do you see the most wonderful word? But. It's a great word in the Bible, but. 
The son has treated him appallingly and comes back to beg forgiveness. But what does the father do? He runs. Now, now, for a respected Jewish man, for the head of the family to run would be a total disgrace. You didn't run anywhere. You walked in a serious, stately fashion because you were the boss. You were in charge and people did what you said. But this father hooshes up his robes and he runs down the road following his heart that has already gone out to his son. And then as he gets there, he embraces his son in his arms. He, he wraps his arms around him. The boy can, can only begin to stumble through his, his rehearsed speech as his father plants kisses on his cheek. The father, do you see the son? The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And there's that word again at the beginning of verse 22. Do you see it down there in verse 22? But. Can you see that word? A lot of you are still looking at me. Look down, verse 22, there it is. It's a precious word, But. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. To to bring the best robe, that the boy's filthy rags, that, that actually are a result of his own behavior, are clothed in a robe that would have been his father's. The best robe was his dad's robe. The robe of status and authority and, and wealth in the family. You put that on him. He's clothed in that robe. That The ring goes on his finger. This is my son. And he's welcomed like a member of the royal family. It's a a rags to riches thing instantly. This disgraced boy is restored to a position of total honor. And his hunger, his hunger is banished with the best party ever. Verse 23. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Why? For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Did you know when we turn to God for forgiveness, he's already waiting to welcome us? It's not that by turning to God, he has compassion on us. God is looking with compassion. His heart is is filled with compassion for rebellious people now. But as you turn to him, you have to turn to him, you see it. And we find that that just as the father here runs towards his son, that, that God has run to us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He hasn't waited for us to earn our way to heaven, to to pay him back what we owe him. He has come from heaven to earth in humility so that he can throw not his arms simply around us in love, but throw his arms wide on a cross in love so he can bear the debt we owe him. He can take the punishment we deserve for the way we have personally rejected him. You see, in Jesus' story, forgiveness wasn't free to the Father. He, he, he had to write off all that debt, that money the Son had spent. He had to bear the disgrace of welcoming a Son back who treated him so badly. No, grace, God's undeserved loving kindness, is never cheap. Oh, it's free to the Son. It's free to us. But it's very costly to God. 
as in the person of his son, he dies in bloody agony so that we can be welcomed into his family, so we can be certain of his love, so that we can be sure that we are forgiven finally and fully forever. And the relationship with God that, that, that we're given in the Lord Jesus Christ is even more extravagant than the gifts the Father gives the Son in Jesus' story. That the Bible teaches us that if we follow the Lord Jesus, we have treasures that are priceless. We're given a place in God's royal family. We're treated as sons and daughters. We're told that we have an inheritance in heaven that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And God doesn't ask us to to do something first to earn that. He he doesn't say, could you just come to church for a few weeks to, to prove you're serious about this? Or could you get baptized and then we'll celebrate the fact you've really become a Christian? No, he just gives us all that we don't deserve in the Lord Jesus. And so God says to you, will you, will you come home? Because coming to a relationship with our loving Heavenly Father is coming home. That is what you were created to know day by day. This God who is so filled with compassion for you, who is so generous in love in giving to you, home is knowing Him in His Son, the Lord Jesus. Because that is the only place you will be truly safe and secure and loved, not just now, but forever. And God says to you, would you come home? Will you turn from your self-destructive life of rejecting me, your sinful life, and come to me and accept my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all he has done for you? But, but do you know what the most shocking thing in this story is? Actually, this story isn't primarily written for you if you're a wayward younger son this morning. That, that might be you. This story is, is written to warn people who think that they don't actually need forgiveness like that. Or people who are still trying to earn God's favor. People like these Jewish religious leaders. People who's, whose lives might, might be filled with resentment. Because here's the last little scene in Jesus' story. It's about resentment. The older brothers had a, another hard day's slog in the fields. And he returns home. The house is buzzing. There's music playing. There's the, the smell of rich meat cooking. This, this sort of feast you'd usually only have once a year at a, a big festival. And so the boy's wondering, why is it barbecue time now? And the reply leaves him absolutely angry. Look at verse 27. Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's taken him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Now this older son rejects his dad as as much as the younger boy. In front of all the guests from the village who would have gathered, in front of all the servants of the household, he basically snubs his father. He denies his authority. He's not going into this party. And for his dad to come out, that's an act of as much humility as for his dad to run down the road towards the younger boy. No, no, no. God longs for a relationship with all people. This father 
longs for a relationship with both his sons. He's willing to be humiliated to get it. Verse 29, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. There's past bitterness there, isn't there? I've worked so hard and you've, you've not done anything for me. He won't, even, he won't even acknowledge he's related to his brother. Do you see that in verse 30? But when this son of yours... He's he's your son. He's nothing to do with me. Who squandered your property with prostitutes. I'd never behaved like that. That's the subtext. Comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. Well, this lad, he he wasn't working for a father he loved, was he? He he was working for an inheritance he thought he deserved. And that's what's most important to him. The wealth. the, The party. What his dad should give him, because he has worked so hard for it. Do you see how quickly he he is both self-righteous, look what I have done compared to what he has done, and self-pity, which is just self-righteousness with the clothes of sadness on. You've never even given me a goat. And what he wants? He wants to be proved right. So he can't forgive. He won't forgive. Don't, don't you want to be proved right a lot of the time? I presume if you ever have any argument whatsoever in your life on any basis, it's because you want to be proved right. Otherwise, we'd have no arguments, would we? <laughs> we'd let it all go. But we want to be proved right. Can, can I speak to you, to you personally for, for a moment? I have spent a lot of my life being like this older son. I, I'm generally a, a conformist. I was the kid at the top of the class. I did largely what my teachers told me. I even at one stage got into lecturing my friends about how they shouldn't smoke. I was that self-righteous. But but the result is, you you live a life of anger and misery. You you can go along to church quite happily, but but there lingers within your heart a deep desire to show that you are right and they are wrong, to win. And that leads to self-pity and an inability to forgive. You see, this older son, he's earned things in life. He deserves things in life. And he's going to be damned if people don't recognize it. But that's the danger. He might well be damned. Because he is excluding himself from his father's party. And you can exclude yourself from God's love through self-righteousness as much as through self-indulgence. You can reject your father in heaven by publicly denying him and walking away from him or by actually publicly accepting him but refusing to accept him. His love for you in the Lord Jesus. You see, if if you don't grasp that we deserve absolutely nothing from God every moment of every day, but that he gives us his son, that that we stand in his grace, that we have his blessing, that all his riches are ours every moment of every day simply because of who he he is, not because of, of what we've done. If you don't grasp that, we will never enjoy a relationship with God through our Lord Jesus. You see, I can tell you I'm saved by grace. 
I, I guess a lot of us here would say that. We're saved by God's grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if that's the case, why do we drift back into condemning others or being anxious or feeling insecure or joyless or even angry a lot of the time? Because in the end, we look to ourselves and to what we've done and to what we think we deserve as a result of that. I listen to how Tim Keller puts it in his book on Luke 15, Prodigal God. Listen to what he says. He says this. This is an American Christian writer. The elder brother's spiritual problem is the radical insecurity that comes from basing his self-image on achievements and performance. So he must endlessly prop up his sense of righteousness by putting others down and finding fault. Are you basing your life on achievement and performance? You can even base your Christian life on achievement and performance. So you serve really hard at church, but then you start resenting those who are not being quite as sacrificial as you are. Those who don't work quite as hard as you are. Those who don't take Jesus quite as seriously as you do. In other words, you feel better about yourself and angry with them. That's being like this elder son. Or or, or maybe you think, well, I'm, I'm not really living for God in the way I should. What I need to do is pray harder. Or I need to repent of my sin more. Or I need to take my sin more seriously. And you work hard at it and you reflect on it and you look within your heart and you find the areas of failure and you repent of them again. And it's just not working. Because what you're doing is you're thinking, if I strive hard, then God will make me the person that he owes me to be. God owes me. Because I'm trying really hard. And the result is sadness and bitterness. But, but do you see the, the father's attitude to both his sons? Verse 31. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. You don't have to become someone you can love. You don't have to become someone you can love. Because you have a father who loves you anyway. Effectively, he says, you don't have to earn my favor. You're simply my son. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see, this is the parable of the two lost sons. Only one has come back at the end of the parable, the the one who saw that he rejected his father. And we're not told how the older son reacts. Jesus deliberately leaves the the story open-ended so that the religious leaders, I guess, so that we can write ourselves into the ending. The question is, how will we respond to this story of God's outrageous grace? Maybe you're like the younger son. Maybe, maybe you've been living for yourself. Maybe you've been happily taking God's good gifts and you don't particularly care about the loving giver. Maybe you've been like the older son. Maybe you've been living a life crippled by guilt, trying desperately to earn God's favor or desperately at least to become someone you can love. Well, you never will and you don't have to. Luke 15 has, has these three stories of being, being lost and found. The shepherd finds the sheep. 
The woman finds the coin. Did you notice actually no one goes looking for the son? So, so, so what did it mean for the son to be found in this story? Or to put it another way, what will it mean for you to know that actually you have been found by God? You are accepted and welcomed back. It'll mean this. It'll mean for you to be certain that you have a father in heaven who is always filled with compassion for you, who always runs to welcome you home, who always has his everlasting arms around you, who clothes you in robes of royal righteousness at the cost of the death of his own dear son, whose heart is filled with joy as he looks upon you, who rejoices over you, all because he has given you his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing that is true every moment of every day, that is what it is to be found by God. Have you been found by God today?